step on up, sit down, twist off that bottle top, or crack open that can. And welcome to Porch Matters. This is Terry Cagle coming to you from my back porch. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. The name of this show is Authentic. On Porch Matters, our saying is this. Big issues or just a friendly conversation. No topic is off limits. We take pride in being able to talk about anything with each other in an open discussion. Open discussion is one of the only ways to learn. Your perspective could be changed. You could change the perspective of others. Friends and family, welcome back to another episode of Porch Matters. I'm glad you're here. The last two weeks have been pretty eventful for me. Last Saturday, me and Stacy went down south of Tuscaloosa to Little Sandy Glass, where we had a glass blowing class. Heather was awesome. I plan on going back with Stacy, her son Xander, and my mother for another class. I'm really curious to see how my mother and Xander do and will definitely post videos on TikTok. I'll also be taking my computer and a microphone so I can sit down and have a conversation with Heather about glass making. Friday was the 5th of November, Guy Fawkes Day. If you have never seen the movie V for Vendetta, I strongly suggest it. The movie is based off Alan Moore's graphic novel, V for Vendetta. If you are asking what a graphic novel is, check out the archives for an earlier episode. I'd like to read you an excerpt from the movie. Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder, treason, and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder, treason, should ever be forgot. But what of the man? I know his name was Guy Fawkes, and I know in 1605 he attempted to blow up the House of Parliament. But who was he really? What was he like? We are told to remember the idea, not the man. Because a man can fail. He can be caught. He can be killed and forgotten. But 400 years later, an idea can still change the world. I've witnessed firsthand the power of ideas. I've seen people kill in the name of them and die defending them. But you cannot kiss an idea, cannot touch it, or hold it. Ideas do not bleed. They do not feel pain. They do not love. And it is not an idea that I miss. It is a man. A man that made me remember the 5th of November. A man that I will never forget. Ideas, no matter how big or small, never die. They just wait on the right people to carry them further or make them come to fruition. Whether it would be something major or a smaller idea like this podcast. Just something for you to think about. Yesterday, me and Stacy went back down to Tuscaloosa to watch my beloved Alabama Crimson Tide play the LSU Tigers. I felt like I needed a blood pressure pill after that one was over. It was definitely an ugly win. But hey, a win's a win, right? Look, I'm roll tide, ride or die to the day I die, but mark my words. If Alabama goes into Jordan-Hare Stadium and plays Auburn the way they played LSU, they are definitely going to get beat, and they're going to deserve to get beat. Hopefully the boys can fix what's going on with the running game and learn how to pick up a delayed blitz. Hopefully our quarterback can learn how to make quick reads when he snaps the ball and stop standing flat-footed. He has four seconds to make his reads. 
Even some of the best offensive lines can't hold blocks longer than five or six. Tonight, I got to watch the season premiere of Yellowstone. That show is some dadgum good storytelling. I love it. I got so caught up in it, I had to stop working on this episode to watch it. Speaking of this episode, on this episode, Scott from the Drive On Podcast comes on the porch to talk about his life. What led him into the military, what caused him to get out of the military, and what he is doing now. Without further ado, let's get started. Scott Deluzio, Drive On Podcast. How are you, my friend? Welcome to the porch. I'm doing I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I sure am glad to have you. It's going to be a good show, I believe. How's the weather where you're at? It's beautiful. Uh, we're out here in Arizona, and the the weather this time of year we're we're in you know kind of mid late October. It's uh, it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, once when it gets to around this time of year, the the heat from the summer's gone, and and we now have you know probably six months of beautiful weather that we get to look forward to so or even more maybe so um depend depends on how the summer how early the summer wants to start so um so we're we're looking looking at some great weather coming up here so basically what you're trying to tell me is is in arizona you actually have seasons yeah i mean it's it's hot and cold so it's not like (laughs) it's a hot season and then like the cool season where it's you know, it's it's not all four seasons. We kind of have like a, a muddy down, uh, you know, version of some of the, the seasons. But but it's almost like a light switch going on and off. Like one one week it'll be, you know, 110 degrees, and then the next week it'll be 80. And it's like, okay, well, I, I could deal with that. Well, here in Alabama, we really don't have a fall, winter, or spring. Okay, as far as the season goes, we have summer, which you know sometimes it feels like the ninth level of hell. <laughs> then you know during what most people would call fall or spring you know winter starts around 6 a.m spring starts around 10 summer at 2 and fall usually starts around 4 30 <laughs> we, we can get all four seasons in one day yeah and all in all seriousness that's why the flu is so rampant down here you you never know how to dress you have to walk outside and figure it out and then go back in and dress appropriately. But yeah, by the time important. you get done dressed, dressing appropriately, the weather's changing. Yeah. You got to bring half your closet with you. It seems like just about, yeah, you might as well pack a bag. I mean, really? <laughs> so I know a little bit about you, but my people, but my people listening right now might not know you from Adam. Tell them a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, so I I host a podcast. You briefly mentioned that earlier, Drive On Podcast, uh, and it's focused on uh, military veterans, their families, and, and people connected with them. Um, and I started that podcast a couple of years ago to um, to kind of address some of the issues that were not being addressed with the veterans that are out there. There's so many issues, mental health issues, homelessness, substance abuse, all these things that are, are they're, they're being addressed in one way or another. But, but when you look at some of the, the statistics that there's just so much that needs to be done. And I said, you know, what? I don't want to sit around waiting for, you know, a phone call saying that another one of my buddies that I serve with over in Afghanistan, uh, you know, 
took their life or, or whatever. So I wanted to do something, be proactive about it. So I started the podcast as a way to reach as many people as I, I possibly could. Um, you know, I, I served in Afghanistan, like I said, uh, back in 2010. And um, I, I was over there with my brother. Um, he he served as well. He was in, we were both in the Army. Uh, he was in the Vermont Army National Guard. I was in the Connecticut Army National Guard. Uh, our whole brigade, uh, we fell under the same brigade. We all went over to Afghanistan in 2010. And he was tragically killed over there. And so I wrote a book called Surviving Son about my experience, not only in the army, but, um, you know, the experience about losing a, a loved one, uh, and coming back home and how I dealt with everything coming back home and, and all the bad mistakes that I made and, and how I eventually tried to try to figure it out. And, um, and so I, I wrote that book, trying to help a bunch of other people, um, you know, including myself, it was a therapeutic process writing that book, but I also wanted to help some other people who might be going through their own loss or their own grieving process or whatever. So, um, so I, I wanted that, that book out there and, and also as a way to tell my brother's story, uh, you know, since he's no longer here to, to tell that story, I, I wanted to be able to tell it for him. And so, um, so that's, that's kind of my, my background and, and what I've been up to, you know, in terms of my, my podcast and my, my book, but, um, you know, th those are kind of like the, the big things I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more of that. You, you said a lot there that we need to unpack. Let's, let's backtrack just a little bit. Sure. What, what was the driving force that got you and your brother to serve? Yeah. So, I mean, my brother and I, we both grew up in a very patriotic family. I mean, that was like growing up, we didn't have like Superman or anything like that as our, as the, the heroes that we were looking up to. we, we looked at the people who were in the military or, you know, uh, first responders and things like that. Like those were our like superheroes growing up. And I remember we went to an air force base, uh, right after desert storm and we were greeting the troops coming back home. And like, we were on cloud, cloud nine. Like we, we had our like junior camouflage outfits, you know, that we were wearing. And, you know, we, it was just like, the greatest experience being able to see, see some of these guys and, and women come home, uh, from, from overseas. And it, it was just really incredible. So after nine 11, uh, I was in college at the time during nine 11, and I considered just dropping out of college at that point and just joining the army because, uh, you know, I, I knew there was going to be some sort of military response. And I think like a lot of other Americans that pissed me off and I wanted to, to be a part of whatever the response was going to be. Um, but I slept on that decision and I decided, you know, I'm, I'm already far enough along in my, my college education. I'll, I'll stick with it until I, I graduate. And if there's still something going on, I'll reconsider my decision after I get out of college. So, um, so I stayed in, uh, graduated. And then the year that I graduated college, my brother started going to college at a, a military college up in Vermont, uh, called Norwich university. And he ended up uh, joining the National Guard up there as well. Uh, he didn't have to as part of like going to that school or anything. He just, he met a friend and he learned more about it. Uh, you know, this friend being in the National Guard, uh, he learned more about it and and he decided, you know, this is the right thing for me. So he decided to, to join. And of course, you know, growing up in this patriotic family, I was, you know, just so happy that my brother made that kind of decision, uh, you know, 
serving our country is, is always a, you know, a great and noble cause. And, uh, and, you know, now he, my little brother became this guy that like I could look up to, you know, like all, all of growing up, he was always my little brother. And, and, you know, you know, and of right. course he had some accomplishments of his own, you know, throughout his life. But, um, you know, but now I was like, Oh my gosh, this is now one of those people that I used to look up to, you know, as a kid. And, and here he is wearing a uniform and everything. And I, I was just so damn proud of him. Um, and then about a year later, I, I was watching the news and they, they had this report saying that, the army was struggling to meet their recruiting numbers for the first time, you know, in, in quite, quite a while there, they just weren't meeting their recruiting numbers. And that, that just got under my skin and it pissed me off. I said, you know, where, where were all these people from, you know, back on September 12th, 2001, who were ready to move mountains to go get this enemy who was attacking us? Like, where are all those people? And then I had a good, long, hard look in the mirror. I said, well, I am those people. Like I, I was that, that same type of person. And, and so I said, well, I'm young enough. You know, I was, I was in my mid twenties. I'm, I'm fit enough. You know, I wasn't in the best shape, but I was, I was, I could get by. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't have any major health issues, you know, and, and, you know, why not me? So I said, you know what, if my little brother can do it, of course I can do it. You know, I'm, no way I'm going to let my little brother one up me on that. No, so, you, you can't um, do that. No, exactly. So, so I, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do it too. Uh, you know, the, the army, the, the country need needs people who are willing and able to do it. And I, I certainly was. And uh, so I, I just signed up. I, I went down to a local recruiter, uh, like the, in the next town over and, uh, and just signed up. And, you know, I had, you know, some paperwork and stuff that I had, had to do, but it was the easiest sell that I, I think this recruiter ever had. Cause I just walked in <laughs> and I said, where do I sign? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <clears throat> where did you, uh, Where'd you do basic at? Uh, so my brother and I both went to Fort Benning in Georgia. We were both infantry. So that's where, where all the infantry soldiers get trained. Uh, do your basic training and then your advanced uh, uh, individual training uh, down there as well. Um, and it's all part of like the same group of guys who, who go through this, this unit. Um, I say guys because back then it was only guys in the infantry. There, right. there were no ladies back then. Uh, you know, I'm sure that's a little bit different now. I, I know things have changed somewhat, but um, but but back then it was it was just the, just the guys. It was very rare to see a woman uh, anywhere around that that area, other than like in the chow hall serving food and stuff like that. Right. When where was you first deployed? Yeah. So, so after I got back uh, from basic training, so being in the national guard uh, for anyone who's unfamiliar with that, we just train one week in a month and two weeks out of the year. So, so we all had civilian jobs and we all came back and, and we, we just did our civilian job and, and went to training when, when needed, uh, you know, occasionally, you know, if there was a state emergency or something like that, or, or things like, you know, that was in the news, like the, uh, uh, inauguration back earlier this year where the national guard gets deployed, you know, within the country, uh, for, for various things. Um, you know, we, we could have been called up for, for stuff like that as well. But my, my first deployment was to Afghanistan and that was in 2010, uh, which was actually towards the end of my, uh, enlistment. And it was also at, at the end of my brother's enlistment as well. Uh, he actually would have, had his enlistment end while he was in Afghanistan. So they weren't going to send him. He had previously been to Iraq 
uh, but they weren't going to send him to Afghanistan unless he reenlisted uh, because they didn't want to have him have his contract end while he was overseas. So uh, he had a close enough bond with the guys that he served with in, in Iraq and, and the new guys that, that came into the unit since then. And uh, so he he decided to reenlist so that he could go overseas with them. Um, and so that, that was his second deployment, my first uh, to Afghanistan back in 2010. I don't want to give away too much of your book and too much of your story, but sure. how did your brother's accident affect you as far as your military service? Yeah. So it, I mean, it was just devastating to me. Um, you know, Understandably when we were in, so. When we were in Afghanistan, um, his, his unit actually, what, what had happened was he, he was out on a mission and uh, they walked into an ambush and uh, you know, as, as they were uh, taking fire, they, they ran for cover, you know, as best they could with the terrain that they had available to them. Right. And he went to go call back. He went to go call back to some guys behind him. And as he was about to start speaking, uh, his head just kind of jerked back and he slumped over. And, and so that's, that's how he was killed uh, by, by the Taliban over there. And, um, you know, after I came home, uh, it, it just, none of, none of what I was doing anymore seemed like it mattered. Um, you know, every, I just kind of lost, lost the interest in, in what I was doing and, and just didn't see the, the big picture with some of the training that we would do. You know, we'd, we'd go out for the, for the weekend and we'd just be sleeping out in the woods and running around like, like idiots, you know, shooting our, our blanks and doing all, all the training and everything like that. But right. like, I, I just, I, I didn't see the point anymore. You know, it just didn't, didn't seem to matter to me. And it it was hard. It was hard for me to, to really stay focused and everything. And, and on, add on top of that, I had, I had injured myself in Afghanistan. I, I needed knee surgery. And so I was going to be out of commission for six to eight months or so, uh, where I just wouldn't be able to do the training. And so did you tear your ACL or something? It, it was my ACL, but it, it was, a. Uh, there's something inside of like kind of near your knee, uh, where it, it, as a kid, like babies aren't born with kneecaps. And so it helps your kneecap form as, as you're developing and you don't need it anymore. Um, but I had fallen and it had knocked that thing out of place. And every step I took, it was like digging into the muscle. And so it, it just, it just was super painful for me. Like I, I couldn't run, I couldn't carry heavy loads. I couldn't do anything. And so that that thing had to be removed so that it wasn't causing me pain anymore. But but that whole healing process was a, at least six months. Um, and so I would go into training and I'd just sit there and watch everyone else run around doing everything. And I, I couldn't do anything. Because you couldn't do anything. Right. You know, and I just felt, I felt completely useless on top of the fact that I just didn't see the point in doing it anymore. And so um, I, I looked into, you know, ways I could get discharged before my my actual uh enlistment was up and I found a, a thing called the surviving sons and daughters. And that's where the book title surviving son came from. Uh, and, and it basically has a provision for people who are in a situation like, like I was where, where my brother was killed in action and I was able to, uh, request a, a early discharge based on that. And so I decided, you know what, I, it's not like I'm doing anything here anyways. I, I'm not, I'm not providing any, uh, you know, leadership. I'm not learning anything because I'm not doing anything. So like, I might as well just, you know, hang up my hat and, and be done with it now. 
Um, right. And plus, it, it, it was taking its toll on my family. Um, every time I put the uniform back on, they they just you could see, even though I was just going to you know an overnight uh, kind of training kind of thing, they they just they had that little sense of worry. Uh, you know, you know they, they never knew they when knew your number was going to get called and you was going to get deployed. For sure. Yeah. Well, there's that. And then, you know, even just a training accident, you know, we, we shot Absolutely. With, you know, live fire and, and stuff like that as well. And, you know, things happen, you know, or, you know, even equipment could malfunction, whatever, you know, right. thing, things happen. And, you know, so they, they just had that sense of worry every time. And I, I, I just hated seeing that in them all, all the time. And so, um, you know, I decided, you know, it, it was time for me to hang up my hat and, and call it quits. And, uh, and so that's what I did. And so I, I got out, uh, just a few months before I, I normally would have gotten out anyways. Uh, and, uh, then I, I had to focus on, on myself and, and get myself better. Uh, it, it was a struggle for me after I came home, uh, dealing with the PTSD and everything that I was dealing with. It was just hard, you know, understandable. Um, I know you were just, a, am not knocking it at all, uh, but yeah. hear me out. I know you were in the national guard. I know you went through deployment and everything, but you know, you hear different people in different service in different branches and everything. Talk about the transition. How was the transition for you coming out of the national guard versus someone that might've been coming out of, let's say the Marines or the, or the army or anything. Explain to me and explain to the audience that your transition phase coming from active until civilian. Yeah, so I mean, the, for most National Guard soldiers, the transition is is pretty easy because we're we're already working a civilian job in most cases. So there are, there are some active National Guard soldiers where they their full time job is in the National Guard, but um, but for the, your typical National Guard soldier, you're already working another job, and so really all when you get out, all you're doing is just bringing up your weekends in a couple of weeks during the year, you know, where you're not going to training. And so, so right. it is a lot easier. Um, but there is, you know, I, I came to, to learn that there is a, uh, a loss of identity because you, you identify as a soldier exactly. and you identify or, or as an airman, depending on, you know, cause there's, there's the air force and the, the army, uh, national guard. And, uh, you know, you identify that way. And then all of a sudden you don't. And, and that's, it, that is kind of a little bit of a struggle for people to kind of find out, um, you know, what that new meaning is in their life or new, new sense of purpose or belonging, um, you know, because you do have uh, a sense of camaraderie with the people that you served with, you know, you, you, you make friends and you, you, you are tight with some of those people, especially if you deployed with them, um, you, you get really tight with those people. And then all of a sudden you kind of lose that connection and that, that shared bond. And now you don't have that anymore. And for me, when I, when I said I, I submitted my, my paperwork to, to get that surviving sons and daughters, uh, uh, discharge, um, like anything in the government, it took a little while for that paperwork to get processed because you know, that's the way they don't the get any, works. They don't get in a hurry unless you're, they're trying to get your tax money. Right. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There was, there was no money in it for him there. Um, so, so that, that paperwork took a couple months to, to process, um, and so I knew it was coming, but I didn't know, I didn't know what I would, I would be expecting as soon as that came. And, and literally what happened was one night I went to bed, I'm still soldier in the national guard. 
next morning I woke up and I get a phone call from my platoon sergeant and he says, Hey, your paperwork got processed. You're out. And I was like, what the hell? Like I'm, I'm out. Like I, I was, I went to bed thinking, okay, I'm still a soldier. And now I, now here I am. Like, what am I? I, I, I've lost that, that sense of uh, belonging to, to this organization and, and sense of purpose. And you can kind of equate that. And I, and I think this, this happens a lot, especially with the active duty soldiers and airmen, Marines, whatever. Um, because a lot of them, they, they join right after high school. And that's the first job they really knew is working in the, the, the military and they may stay in for 20 years and yeah. that's, that's all they've known. And then they get out and they're all of a sudden, okay, what am I now? Right. I, I'm, I'm just some guy with 20 years of military experience, but how do I transition and apply that to something else or, or find a new sense of purpose in, in my life? Um, and, and it's, it's hard for a lot of people to do to come up with that, that sense of purpose. And, and for people who've never served in the military, you think of it like a retirement. Like if you've worked a job for 30, 40, you know, however many years, whatever it is. And, and you've all of a sudden you get to retirement age and you retire and you're no longer doing that. You know, all those years you were saying, okay, I'm a doctor or I'm a, an electrician or I'm a, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. And now all of a sudden you're not that thing anymore. You know, you still could do the work. You still could go, you know, if you're an electrician, you could still go wire stuff and you could still go figure that stuff out because that you know how to do it, but that's not your job anymore. And that's not, not who you are anymore. And so you've lost that sense of identity. Uh, you know, now you're just, you know, a guy who goes and plays golf, you know, every day or whatever, yeah. you know? Um, and, and so, and, and while that's fine, I'm not knocking people who go and play golf every day. No, if you can no, do it, no, God bless you. But, but that it doesn't, doesn't have like that, that meaning behind it. It's just kind of killing time almost, you know? And, um, you know, when you get out of the military, it, it kind of feels the same way. Even if you have something else lined up, uh, you know, like I did, I, I had a job that I, I was working as well, but it just wasn't as meaningful, you know, it w- wasn't serving that bigger purpose. Um, and so one of the things that we talk about on, on my podcast is this exact topic. And we, yeah. we talk about how, how do people find that sense of purpose after getting out of the military, you know, and it, and it really falls on, you know, a lot of like what I'm doing now, uh, with my podcast and my book, it's really just serving other people, finding, finding someone else that you can serve like a higher purpose. It doesn't have to be, you know, other service members or, or whatever it you know it could be your church or, you know, a local sports team or, you know, something like that, you know, a, a little league or, a, you know, football kind of team or, or whatever, go coach that or, or whatever, find a purpose that's bigger than yourself. And, and, and that, that will help in that transition. What you just described everything to a T you would be surprised at just how many law enforcement officers, whenever they leave, whenever they do that last call and it's over and they hang that uniform up and then they go home. It's, I know with me, I, I, whenever I called the doors for the jail for the last time to walk out, I felt a thousand pound weight. I I don't even think that's good enough to, it felt like Atlas. Let's go a little Greek mythology where you feel like you're (laughs) holding the weight of the world. You just feel like you put it down and you're able to take a breath, right? You know, 
and you're you actually feel like you're able to relax for just a second but then you go oh crap now what yeah these hands and, have been doing something for so long using that that analogy there they, yeah. they've been doing something for so long what do they do now exactly you know yeah. you you wore the badge you wore the uniform not just wearing it but embracing what it stood for embracing the responsibility that came with it yeah. you know do, taking pride in doing your job and doing it the best that you could and now that all and to the point where it actually became who you were right and then you're like now what do i do yeah you you would everything that you just described everybody that has took that badge off and did that last call can emphasize what you just said i can because i lived it just like yeah. you did if you were in you were in military but i was in law enforcement so yeah i i went through those i went through that identity crisis too you know mm-hmm. i was mm-hmm. to the point okay now what do i do and it was to the point with me where i had to separate and i've talked about this before in my podcast where Officer Car- Officer Cagle was so was this 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 and this, but Terry was a different guy. It was almost like yeah. I had to separate the two, right? And then, but as as my time went on, you every you couldn't tell the difference between the two almost. So yeah, I totally understand where you was coming from right there. Um, talk to us a little bit about about your transition, just a little bit more after you left. You were working your job. Uh, did did you have an easy transition, or was it difficult? You know, it it was difficult when I when I first got back from Afghanistan. Uh, I started working the job that I had before going over there, right? And I, I, I came back to that um, job was still there. The you know everybody that I worked with was was great. Um, they, they, they were really supportive while I was over there, sent care packages and all that kind of stuff, you know, great people, uh, that I worked with, but I found after coming back home, I just couldn't relate with them anymore. Like I, I just, I felt like there was just a, a connection that was missing. And I, I still was technically in the national guard, but I, I was, you know, I wasn't doing much in terms of the training and stuff. So, um, you know, for all intents and purposes, I was, I was kind of already out at that point. Um, and I, I just I just couldn't relate anymore to to those people. People I used to go out to lunch with and used to joke around with and you know kind of hang out at a you know happy hour or whatever. I, I just I didn't feel that connection anymore. And you could be in really, the middle of a crowded room and feel like the loneliest guy in the world. And I did. Yeah, exactly. And I, I would Me go too. into work and, and it was hard. It was really hard to to do that. And every day it was a struggle to get myself out of bed. To, to go into that job. And I, I think I only lasted maybe a couple months uh, at that job after, after I, I came back, I, I just had to, to walk away from it. Um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. Um, and at the time, my, my dad, uh, he, he had a position open at, at his company that I was able to do. And, uh, uh, you know, I was qualified for education wise and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I was like, you know what, I'll, you know, if, if you want me to, to work for you, I'll, I'll work for you and, and everything. But, and, and that, that gave me a sense of purpose for a little bit because I felt like I was, I was helping out my dad, you know, he needed the, the, the help and I, I was there to help him out. But that only lasted for so long because the job that I was doing, uh, it, it really didn't, it really wasn't anything that was 
fulfilling to to me personally. It was it wasn't the thing that that really brought me any kind of sense of uh, you know fulfillment. It was and a so job, it, and it wasn't a passion. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and the thing is, you know, my, my dad, he, he definitely is passionate about this stuff. And, and so what, what he was doing, he was definitely passionate about. And, and he, he says all the time that, that he doesn't work a job. You know, he, he has something that he loves doing and he gets paid for. And, right. you know, so, but it, it definitely was not the case for, for me. Um, and so what, what I ended up doing was, uh, you know, I just kind of switched to part time just so I wasn't leaving them hanging, you know, totally, uh, with, with that job. And, and I started, started a business of my own, which, which kind of led me down the path of entrepreneurship. And, and I found that I, I had found a, a much deeper meaning in, in what I was doing. And I was much more passionate about the stuff that I, I was doing for, for myself. And, and I could see the, the level of effort that I put into it directly related to what I was getting back out of the business. So, um, so I, it, it really was encouraging for me to, to keep, keep up with that. And, and it, it got me going. Um, but then, then I, I, I felt like there, there still needed to be something more, you know, the, the job was great. The, the company I had was great. Um, but I needed something more. And so that's, that's when a couple of years ago, I decided to start this podcast, uh, to, to really, give back to the military community that, that I love being a part of. Um, and, and I wanted to, to really help out people who were struggling and they, they might've just been struggling in silence and, and not saying anything to anyone because I just figured, Oh, well, no one's going to understand what I'm, where I'm coming from. And, you know, that's just not true. There's so many people out there who've probably been in a similar, if not the same situation. And, and if we can, we can all talk about this stuff and get it out there, you know, maybe we can help each other out. And so that, that's kind of what I'm trying to do with the podcast. I like your podcast and I just want you to know that I do listen. Um, appreciate that. Talk, let's, let's talk about it a little bit. What led you to start it? I know you just touched on it a little bit, but let's do a little bit of a deeper dive on that. Um, how, how did you actually learn about podcasts? Were you actually a listener of podcasts before and then just be like, Hey, I think I can do it. Cause that's basically what happened to me. I, I told this story on the last episode, how I was a huge wrestling fan and I heard stone cold. Steve Austin was doing a podcast and I was like, what's a podcast. And then that was like back in 2012 and then flash forward here. I am right. Is your story similar? Was you a stone yeah. cold Steve Austin fan? No, not I, probably not the same. Probably not the same story as you, but right, um, right. I had actually been a guest on a couple podcasts in the past um, for okay. for for my work, and so I knew about them enough from the people that uh, that had invited me as a guest on on the the show on, on their shows, and so I, I knew a little bit about what went into it, right. but I really had no idea. Um, I mean, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know anything about, you know, the microphones or the, you know, the recording, like the software that you use. I, I didn't know how to edit stuff. Like, right. That I, I had never done any of that stuff before. Yeah. This, so, is the, this is the easy part of what we right. do. This is right. The, this the is the fun. This is the easy part. The conversation. That, right. I, I love this part. This part is, is a breeze. Like yeah. I, could, I could do this all day, but, <laughs> but then I got to go and edit the stuff. Yeah. That, that's just, that, yes. that makes me not want to do it all day. You know, 
I don't I don't see how some of these people do it just one shot, one take. Oh my gosh. They're on everything. Yeah. I, I mean I I most episodes I, I'm cutting something out. You know, I, I'm 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 definitely making some adjustments or or whatever. But um yeah, but yeah, when I first started, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Um, I, I had reached out to a couple of my friends who had podcasts who I was on, on their, their show uh, in the past. Right. And, and I said, okay, what do I need? I am starting a podcast. What do I need? And so they gave me a whole list of stuff. Um, said, you know, get, get a decent microphone. You don't have to go spend a thousand dollars on a microphone, but get something decent. Don't use your you know laptop microphone or whatever, you know, um, get, get something a little bit better than that. And, uh, you know, they, they gave me a whole, you know, series of things to get. So, okay, cool. I'll go get them. Uh, the first couple episodes that I did, I, I don't think anyone other than my wife knew that I was even doing a podcast because I, I was like, this is such crap. It, it's going to be garbage. And I don't even know if I'm going to keep doing it. So so we'll we'll see. I'll, I'll put them out there and and see what happens. Um, and then eventually I, I got up enough confidence, I think it's probably after, I don't know, half a dozen episodes or so. Uh, I, I started posting it to my my Facebook page and all, all these other, you know, uh, groups that I was in and stuff. I started posting some of the episodes and, and I started getting people reaching out saying, Hey, could I be a guest on your show? I was like, I guess on my show, why would you want to be a guest on my show? No one listens. To it. It's like me and my wife who listens to the show. Like, why do you want to even be on my show? You know? Um, but it was great. It, you know, I realized after, after getting a couple guests, you know, just like, you know, we're having a conversation right now. Uh, I, I, I do that with my guests too. And and I didn't have to sit there and come up with topics to talk about or whatever. It's like, let, let's talk to the guest and figure out, let's you know, what, out. whatever the topic is, what it, that's what it's going to be. And, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, you know, if the, the person has a, they're an expert in a certain area. Cool. We'll talk about that. If they wrote a book, we'll talk about that. If they, I don't know, if they do something cool, we'll talk about that. And, and so I was like, that, that's going to save me a whole lot of time. I don't have to keep coming up with all these topics week after week, you know? So, yeah, I I don't know about you, but I, I listened to Larry King give a, he was doing an interview with somebody and they were asking him, you know, you're, you're one of the greatest interviewers of all time. How do you do it? He, he kept it simple. He said, I ask, I ask a question, my guest starts talking and then I base my, I base my next questions based off of what they say. We have a conversation. I would just, I would rather have conversations. I'm good at conversations. I don't know how to do an interview. Right. You know what, you know what I mean? I mean, I'm, I'm real. You're real. Let's have a good, authentic, deep dive discussion on whatever. And let's see how it sounds. That's, I mean, that's, that's what I'd like to do. I mean, that's what I do too. I mean, eventually I started doing, uh, because I had a couple uh, episodes where, it was like pulling teeth, just trying to get the, the guests to, to say anything. And, uh, I, I started just writing down before each episode that I record just a few notes of things that I want to, I want to touch on. Uh, so that way, uh, if, if things really start falling flat and, and the person's, I don't know, they get nervous or what, I don't know why they get nervous, but people sometimes get nervous, but it's like, it's just like, we're talking right now, just like one-on-one, like that's all it is. Why are you getting nervous? Hey, There's nothing we, to be nervous about, you know? We've all been there. Yeah. I know anytime I've seen, whenever I first started this, when I seen that red light come on, I was like, okay, be real careful on what you say. Don't yeah. say the wrong thing. You know, and even even earlier in, in the episodes of Forge Matters, I was very meticulous. We'd 
me and my two co-hosts, we would think of a topic we were going to talk about and then we'd do research. And I, I mean, I would go down through and make outlines and this, that, and the other, and try to stick to topic. And I was very meticulous with that. And it just, it felt like it turned into a job almost. There wasn't, there wasn't as much passion. There was still passion. Don't get me wrong. And I appreciate everything that was done and I still love them today. Um, but as far as what I'm doing now versus that, that felt more like a job than the passion project that it is. Cause that's what it right. is. You know, I don't, I'm not, I don't have any sponsorship or anything like that. I'm not drawing a check. This is a hobby and a passion project that I actually fork out money to do. Same here. So yeah. I'm, exactly. So, I mean, I really enjoy what I'm doing and I'm trying my best to get better every episode, just like you are. I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. And and I, I think for anyone who's listening, who is totally turned off of doing a podcast right now, based on what we were saying, <laughs> right? You know, you know, but don't, don't take this as like, you know, don't, don't take it for, uh, you know, Oh, it's so hard. You can't do it because you know, I'm two and a half years into my, my podcast and I'm still doing it. It's not like I, I've quit, you know, every single week I've put out a new episode, uh, and I've been able to do that. And I, I'm, I still enjoy it, you know, for, for a time, like you were saying, it did feel like it was becoming a job, but I just, I just learned to, to do things in a smarter way that, that made it so that I didn't have to work so hard at it and make it like a job. So, I mean, if you're out there and you have an idea for a podcast, I mean, do it. Just do it. I mean, it, it's just not like the Nike commercial said, just do it. Just do it. Exactly. Speaking of your show, what have you got coming up? Oh, we have, oh my gosh, I have so many episodes. Uh, so uh, I, the way I do my podcast, um, I, I record episodes well in advance. So I, ah. I like having, I like having a good queue of, uh, of episodes ready to go. So that way, if I decide to, you know, take a couple of weeks off and, you know, just kind of blow it, blow it off and not have to, to do anything with it. Uh, I, I'm not scrambling to, to get episodes out there. And that way I have a steady stream of content going out. Uh, I remember over the summer I recorded like something like eight episodes or so in a week. And I was like, Hey, I got two months of episodes right here, you know, all, all done in a week. And I don't, I can take the rest of the summer off now. I, I don't have to record anything until September. Or so again, uh, if I, I don't want to, I need to do more of that. Uh, the most yeah. I've ever done was three. Yeah. The most, yeah. And, but I, re, but I, I release bi-weekly. I'll release okay. one. Yeah. Because my schedule is the way it is. It gives me more time to edit and everything like yep. that. We know yeah. And for, for mine, I, so I, I try to do one, one every single week and I I've been successful with that since I started, I haven't missed a week. Um, but if I found, if I get out too far, like right now I have episodes scheduled that we're at the end of, you know, mid, mid October, I have episodes scheduled out through the end of January right now. And like, I, I find that that's too much, uh, because then you start having guests who are like, okay, I have this 
event coming up that I want to talk about or whatever. And then, then we're like, okay, well, that's not coming up until February. So too bad, you know, and that, that, that's not fair either. So, um, so I'm, I'm trying to scale that back a little bit and find a good balance. So I, I have enough content that I can take a break if I want to, uh, you know, life happens, things come up and, and whatever. I don't have to be right on top of it every single week. Um, because then that, to me, it feels like it would be more of a job where, where I'm, I'm like, okay, well, I have to scramble and make, make sure that I have this, meet this deadline and, and whatever, you know? And so that's, that's exactly what I'm trying to avoid is, is making it like a job. This part, like I, like we said before, I enjoy this part, the, yes. the talking back and forth, forth. So that doesn't feel like a job. So I can record all day and just get all these great conversations in. Um, and so so with that said, you were asking about what I have coming up. Um, I have uh, I have interviews with people who are uh, doing some things for veterans that are really great uh, uh, work that that is not the typical like going to the VA kind of thing that you might be thinking about for uh, veterans, like the, the support that they might be getting. And for example, one of them is a former NFL referee. Uh, he he's a Fox sports analyst right now. Uh, and, and he does, um, this, this thing called battlefields to ball fields. And what it is, is taking the military people who the people getting out off of, uh, their military service who have a passion for sports, whether it's football or baseball or basketball or whatever, you name it. And, they're they're getting them into uh, uh, being an official for those sports, a referee, an umpire, or whatever, and and getting them involved in that because you know it takes a certain kind of person to to referee a game and be able to have a thick enough skin to not let the the fans who are being a jerk, you know, really get at you, right? Absolutely, especially so, especially those moms and dads out there that are very you know, passionate about their son or daughter playing. Exactly. But, but they, they work with people at all levels. So they, they'll get people in at the, you know, maybe the high school sports level, but they'll, they'll work with them to kind of advance them through to the college level. Uh, and then um, they, they, I think he said that he even has some people who are at the pro level too, for various sports. Nice. And, and, you know, we were talking about before that transition and losing that sense of meaning and purpose and, and whatever. And if you're, if you're doing a, a job where you're working in a sport that you love, you know, if you're, if you love football and and you you're getting to work all these games and making a, you know, maybe side income, you know, for, especially at the high school level, you're not making a, a ton of money doing that, but uh, you know, you're making some, some money for that. Uh, and then you're, you're really feeling like you, you have a sense of purpose now, uh, you know, all right. over again. And, right. and so that, that helps a lot of these, these people who are just looking for, that sense of purpose and meaning belonging, whatever. Um, and you know, you're not going to find that through the VA, you know, no. you're not going to, you're not going to go there and, and they'll say, Oh, Hey, we got this program set up where you can go, you know, be a baseball umpire or whatever. Like though, but this organization's out there doing that and they're, they're helping people get involved with the sports and, and get through the, the training and get the equipment that they need and all that kind of stuff. And they're really doing great work uh, for, for the the veterans who who are out there, um, and that, that's just one example of an episode that that we have coming up where where it's it's creative, like innovative solutions that people are coming up with, and and it's uh, and it's really great. 
you know, it combines, you know, the best, best of both worlds. It combines the, the, the discipline and the, the, that thick skin that you develop when you're in the military. Uh, and, and it also, uh, combines, you know, that, that person's love for whatever the sport is that, that they're, that they're involved with. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm really excited about some of these things that we have coming out. Uh, some of these episodes that, that we've talked to people, um, we have, we have authors who have uh, written books on, you know, how to deal with p- things like PTSD and, and stuff and, and really great conversations are being had. And, and we're, we're more than just bringing awareness to, to some of these problems, we're coming up with solutions. And I think that that's, that's the, the real uh, benefit to, to doing this is we're having these conversations and, and then we're, we're coming up with, with solutions so that someone who's actually struggling with something they they have actionable steps that they can take and they can go and try to work on that and get better. Um, you know, not not saying that they have to go and work on it alone, but it, you know, the first step might be to pick up the phone and call, you know, whatever organization is that 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 we're talking to and and see what how they can help, you know. Outstanding. Where can the listeners find your show? Where can they find you on social media? Yeah. So uh the show could be found at driveonpodcast.com. You can listen to it, subscribe to it anywhere that you listen to podcasts, you know, wherever you listen to this podcast, you can probably find it there too. And social media, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, all at drive on podcast. Uh, th- those are all great places to find all that. Um, and then, uh, as far as the book goes, uh, you can check out the book on Amazon, uh, it's, it's in Kindle format, paperback, hardcover. So you can, you can check it out there on Amazon surviving sun. And, uh, you should be able to find, you know, however you like to read it, you should be able to find it there. Scott, I appreciate you coming on the porch and you've got a spot on my porch. Anytime you want to come back, sir. I appreciate it, Terry. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Big thanks to Scott Delugio for coming onto the porch. Find Drive On Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find his book, Surviving Sun, on Amazon. If you are new to the show and like what you hear, hit that like, subscribe, or follow button and download the episodes in our archives. If this show has been a positive addition to your life, please rate the show and leave a review. Won't take you but a minute, and it really would help the show. Find us on social media by typing Porch Matters Podcast into the search bar. Word of mouth is still the best way of sharing. Pick your favorite episode and share it with at least one person this week. There are a lot of people out there that have never heard of a podcast before. I sure would appreciate it. And I'll see you next time right here on Porch Matters.